I need to know everything Who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised At the info you get Is by letting them talk Hey everyone I'm Ashley Asty, And I'm curious Aren't you? I'm Curious Podcast Brings the unfamiliar closer I'm telling stories and sharing conversations with people who remind us that love demands we move toward justice and that we're all connected. This opening music is called Curious George by Nate Rose. All right, let's get to it. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now they ain't go harder than me. I'm thinking back on this conversation that I had with Michael Hoffner. We had it a bunch of weeks ago in the winter. Now we're emerging into spring. But what I can still feel is there's this spaciousness about him. Like he allows in God's presence. You can feel this calm and ease and this peace in his spirit that is really lovely to be around. This conversation was one of those deep, vulnerable conversations that I love. We talked about discontent and how it emerges from our disconnection, our disconnection to ourselves, to each other, to spirit. We talk about the illusion of our separateness. And we talk about healing. Michael Hoffner is the founder and executive director of the Community Growth Center on Long Island in New York. He received his master's in social work from Fordham University and and through his own healing journey eventually found his way to creating this community center for spiritual and personal growth. He's also the author of the book God's Presence in the Present, Contemplative Prayer and the Healing Process, and we bring in quotes and stories from that book as well in our conversation. He also works with Adelphi University as the coordinator of spirituality services. He feels that his professional purpose and calling is to bridge mental health, personal development, and spiritual growth into one integrated process in order to help facilitate growth and transformation. This was just a beautiful, heartful conversation, so let's dive in. I guess I should start by just saying how grateful I am, Michael, to have you here today. And I was saying before as before we hit record that I've had a very full week. And so I've been looking forward to it's Saturday morning. It's a little bit cold outside, but we've got our sweaters on. And I've been looking forward to a really heartfelt and I think both vulnerable and courageous conversation with you. So I'm grateful you're joining me. Thank you. I'm grateful for the invitation and to be in this conversation with you. So uh, I'm looking forward to kind of just sharing this space with you and learning from each other. So thank you for, for having me. Mm, yeah, learning from each other. I feel like that's why I started this, that we could just grow together. I wanted to dive in by actually mentioning something from your book, uh, God's Presence in the Present, and from the foreword of the book. So Father Francis Pizzarelli says about you in the foreword, he says, mm-hmm. The author is living proof that miracles do happen, that change and transformation are possible, and homecoming and healing are real. I imagine your story is a long one, but I'm wondering if you can give us a a taste of it. Share some of your story. What brought you to this moment in your life and the work that you're doing now? 
Yeah. So, wow. I, those words still, when I hear somebody share them back and when I revisit them, they, um, they just resonate so deeply and, and, um, are so, so powerful and a reminder of my journey and, and where I've been. So, um, eternally grateful for father, father Frank and, and offering up the forward and in, in my relationship with him. So just, you know, my story, um, you know, this part of my story, I'll say my, you know, cause we, we all carry our, our whole life as our story, but in this context, so towards the end of high school, um, I really started to struggle with mental illness. Um, and then into my college years, um, my mental illness, um, continued to be something that in a lot of ways went untreated and slowly my, uh, my way of dealing with it was through substance abuse and, and drug addiction. And, um, you know, so for me, there's very much this sense of um, self-medication was the um, entry point in which my addiction really took hold. So then through, through those years into my early 20s, just really struggling with mental illness, with addiction, um, and found myself um, in a constant revolving door of different treatment facilities and programs, inpatient um, rehabs, inpatient um, psychiatric hospitals, in and out of um, different programs across the state, and never really finding the healing that I was looking for um, and that I needed. And um, unfortunately, it resulted in ultimately in, in overdose, which I survived and um, self-harm and, and things like that, that really just kind of resulted in me hitting more and more kind of bottoms and struggling deeper and deeper. And um, at the age of 25, I found myself um, living at Hope House with Father Frank. And that, um, that really became the starting point of what I consider my um, journey to recovery and wellness um, and my spiritual growth. And for me, that's really a huge component that we don't, we don't recover in a vacuum in, in just in one way, whether it be physical, mental, or spiritual. Um, it, it requires deep holistic healing on all levels. And um, so through that journey, I kind of grew in knowing myself, grew in the understanding of the importance of community and connection um, and then under, and then grew deeper and deeper in co connection and communion with my relationship with God um, and continue to try to carry that out every day and, and you know some days I'm um, I feel more aligned and connected than others and some days it's a, a struggle but every day it's kind of how do I continue to carry out, that sense of um, communion, connection, and relationship, um, and, and ultimately continuing to grow and, and to heal. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that's those, those parts of me, my mental illness, my addiction, um, still remain, you know, I, I'm no longer in active, you know, I, I haven't used in, you know, over 12 years, and, but still, um, you know, those parts of me, are part of my story. They're part of my experience. Um, and they've really been something that has gone from the part of my journey that was the darkest 
and the hardest to a part of my journey now that I talk about as my path towards freedom and Mm -hmm. towards, you know, you know, health and, and just growing and and loving and and they've become this source of light and and hope and and homecoming to go back to that word. Um, And is that's the way I feel like God works, right? Like God, God doesn't remove these things. God just transforms them and says, here's, I'm going to take this part of your story, which was so dark and so painful and led you to such despair. And I'm going to touch upon it in a way that it becomes the source of hope and healing and light not just for you, but for others as well. And uh, that's the miracle. That's how God works, right? Like God touches upon all of these dark places and says like, I'm going to transform them into something that you can't even believe yet. Mm. (laughs) I already feel all the feels just based on what you're saying. Uh, Earlier this morning, I was emailing with a friend who's, who's very spiritual to me. We were talking about this almost like tension in our lives. And I don't mean as a stress, but of leaning in towards purpose and listening and trying to align. And um, she used the word redefining the dream of like taking these or God, perhaps taking these dark moments and being able to transform them. And so I just feel like, and she's of a different generation older. And I feel like when you're tapped in, there's that collective energy of how to lean into like why we're here and and make that transformation. Um, Going back though, to your, your story, you were talking about struggling with mental health issues beginning when you were in high school and college at the time, did you feel like, there was outlets available? Did you feel like there was a stigma around that? Um, yeah, what were the feelings around that? Yeah, you know, I, well, there, there were, I, I guess the, the feelings were kind of not really sure what to do with it and not really sure how to hold it. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in a loving and supportive family, um, two older brothers, two parents that loved me, continue to love me, support me. Um, On the surface, everything appeared in place. And so I think the part for me that was um, the, one of the harder parts to kind of make sense of is the disconnect of like, when I look on the surface, everything looks like it should be good. Mm-hmm. And when, when people are looking from the outside, looking in, um, everything appears, appears in place. Um, yet internally, internally, there was this deep sense of disconnection and pain. And I think that was one of the, the initial kind of like, how do I make sense of this, this split of my life in so many levels seems um, blessed and, and um, in place and, and supported, yet internally something is missing, something is off. And I can't, and I think I, I remember, like, I can't even name it. I can't, like, I just feel like something is missing and there's a deep hole and a discontent. Um, and so I, I think that was the first part of like, how do I make sense of this? um, what I'm feeling. And I spent a lot of time in that. And that's where I think kind of like opened me up to the idea of drugs were a way of kind of filling that momentarily. Um, and so then it became that cycle of, you know, I have these feelings that I can't make sense of. And then I have this way of covering them up and, and at least momentarily helping me to 
relieve the pain that I was feeling inside. Mm, yeah, that's so interesting. Just last night is before I was falling asleep, I suddenly had this flash of remembrance of my time in college where I felt very similar feelings of this deep emptiness and this deep hole. And yet I remember the outside of my life. I remember having advisors and teachers just thinking like, oh, she's so put together and she does well in school. And I was almost so angry at the outward appearance because it was belying this deep hole. And yet I also didn't seek help for it either because I just thought I, di I didn't know how to hold it. I don't think we're taught that how to deal with it or contend with it or that other people might be feeling it too or that there are people around you who can support it instead I just sort of kept it together on the surface and then there's this like hole and tension underneath that's really interesting um so yeah let's let's get into the the heart of discontent because I think unfortunately so many of us are sort of simmering with some sort of discontent in our lives whether we're fully aware of it or not it, it's kind of like rippling through a lot of us and yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back to your book. So again, in the forward, the book says human disconnect and discontent are connected. And then later you add the term discontent refers to a state of being that is the result of our disconnection with our whole self. Our yeah. failing to know and connect with our whole self leaves us feeling incomplete. So can you describe yeah. that feeling of disconnection, what it is? Yeah, well, I, I think one where I would start is, and you kind of made reference to this before, is that the difficulty in how to hold it, right? Like we have this discontent, this, and I think the first thing that we, we want to do is kind of make space for it to be part of our experience and to not immediately think, well, how do I cover this up? Yeah. Right. Like I think there's deep wisdom and lessons that lie within it. And it's almost our spirit or our body's way of saying something, there, there's something to be tended to. Yeah. There are places in our, our body and our heart and our spirit that need love and, and attention. And I think one of the challenges is we're so conditioned when we feel that way and, and myself too, is how do I not feel this way? Mm -hmm. How do I cover it up by the quickest means necessary. And, and so the first thing is like, how do we make space for that sense of discontent and disconnection to exist and to be part of our journey uh, without judgment and without shame and without, you know, um, demonizing it in a way that makes it hard for us to look lovingly upon it. Mm. Um, and what I have discovered is, you know, that the emotion is real um, and of that discontent and disconnection. Um, but there is also an element of illusion in it, right? Like uh, the, the illusion of our separateness because we are never really separated from ourselves and, and from God and from each other. But there is this illusion of separation that leads to our disconnection and discontent. Um, and so the, it's an important piece of recognizing, I think, that we're not actually separated. We really feel that way. And that feeling is real. But we can never be separated from God. We can never be separated from each other. We can never be separated from ourselves. But we can deeply, deeply believe the illusion of separation. And I think, you know, you see that in, in so many areas of society this you know 
rugged individualistic, mm-hmm. you know, just looking out for ourselves and, you know, operating in a way that we forget that we belong to each other. Yeah. That we deeply, deeply belong to each other and that we belong to God. Um, and any sense of separation is an illusion that comes from our social conditioning, our ego, um, our experiences. And so the, the path forward is how do we kind of remind ourselves that we belong to each other and that we belong to God? Mm, you mentioned something about how do we hold space for and look upon our disconnect or discontent, I'm sorry, without shame and how we have this rugged individualistic, like do it on your own, pick yourself up by your bootstraps idea that, and it makes us forget that we're all linked. And I was just reading uh, the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy's book, something, <laughs> like I should know the title, something about together uh, is in the title and about how loneliness in, in, impacts us on a, an emotional, spiritual, physical level. And he went through all these stories in the book, uh, college students, uh, older people, like every span in between of moments of feeling deeply alone. And yet suddenly realizing as they start to be brought in community that so many other people were feeling that way too, except they had all this shame. They weren't at first reaching out. And it was like this cycle because now you have this stigma attached to it. So you're not reaching out to anyone else. You're yeah. not getting community, which helps you. As you've started to do this work in, like in the community with other people, have you found that, that there are more people who are experiencing this illusion of disconnection and that maybe they're not talking about or don't realize like there are other people out there feeling it too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of the most prevalent experiences and, and situations that are impacting our society and our world now is that feeling alone, feeling separated, not feeling like you belong and, and, and feeling disconnected. And, and I think that the pandemic has heightened that. And but I think it existed even before that, this sense of not feeling a part of not feeling like you belong to a community. And I think that in, in some ways that it, it gets, you know, just speaking, you know, from a spiritual perspective in, in a lot of ways, I think it's been conditioned, especially, you know, I, I when I, in my mid twenties, I decided to um, go through the sacraments and became a Catholic. And, you know, prior to that, I, um, my, I didn't grow up connected to any religion. Um, and so, um, so I'm, so speaking just as a Catholic, I, I think, um, there can sometimes be this sense of like individual salvation, right? Like we just have to kind of like figure out how to make it to heaven on our own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, so I think it's delivered through so many different areas in our society, this idea of, you know, how do, how do you make sure that you get there without this sense of like, how do we get there? How do we do it together? And so I think people are deeply, deeply impacted by that sense of like, I don't have a space of belonging. I don't have a space of community. And, and that's one of the reasons why we, and I opened the community growth center is like, how do we create a space where people can grow and people can heal and people can come as they are and really feel like they belong, not because they're perfect or they have it all together or because they've 
passed some series of tests that allow them to be worthy enough to belong. Mm -hmm. But we belong just because we are in mm -hmm. all of our humanness, in all of our flaws, and we all carry them. Like we belong because we are here together in this space. Um, and, and, you know, we can't earn that sense of belonging. We can't earn that grace. And, and that's an important piece when we, when we look at what is happening around us is there is this, I believe this deep sense of like, how do I become good enough so I can belong? Yes. <laughs> and that is a, that is a, a deeply, deeply unhealthy way of viewing, you know, our existence in that, like, we somehow have to earn our belonging. Um, and so how do we shift that and say, you belong not because of how good you are. You, you belong not because of what you've done or what you can do, but because by your very presence, by your existence, um, you belong to this community. Um, you belong to God. Um, and, and that's enough, right? Like you don't have to earn your way in. Um, and that's, I, I believe that's the, you know, that's the nature of God. That's the, the invitation into our relationship with God into heaven. It's, it's not a invitation of worthiness and belonging and being good enough. It's an invitation of come as you are, you are already loved. Um, and then our work is to be open enough to receive that love to be able to see it and, and receive it and feel it um, and then be transformed by it. Mm. Right? Like, what the transformation that takes place. And I think of my own journey in healing is, you know, I still hold the, you know, part of my story as, you know, being somebody that struggled with addiction and mental illness. Um, but that's not my whole story. It's just a part, right? Like, and, and the healing that takes place spiritually is when we realize that God doesn't just see us by our, by one part of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And so often the world does, oh, you've done this. So that's it. That's who you are. Um, and, and we get put into boxes by what we do or what we have done. And like, what is your job? Oh, you're a, you know, you're a social worker. So that's who you, that's yes. who you are, or you, maybe you've made a mistake and, you know, you're, you know, you ended up in the justice system. So you're like, we get labeled by what we do and what we have done. Um, but that's the wrong label. We need to see who people are, not what people do. Mm. And that's the, um, I think that's the, the work of healing that disconnect is to say like, you belong not because of what you've done or what you do, but by who you are. Yeah, I feel like that's radical, even though it's not, it's, it's elementary, it's how I feel like God actually works, but it feels so um, radical in the sense that it's so powerful and bold. And I think most people don't see it that way. There's this sense of earning worth. And what do you say to people who have this sense of God as, angry or vengeful, or there's like, God puts fear in his, his people, let's say, how do you explain this other version, this truer version of, of God's love? Yeah, you know, and I think we have to be honest by where, you know, that comes from in both in, 
speaking from a the religious standpoint, there is some scripture and text that points to that, right? Like, and so we can't deny that. And and then also um, an individual's upbringing, right? Like, if they grew up in a household with a very authoritarian parents and um, that were very that used religion very, um, you know, con- in a very controlling way and very authoritarian way, um, you can understand why people would come out of certain, you know, experiences and, and schools of religious thought with that, you know, with that belief. Um, and so the first thing I think we have to do is kind of make space to just say like, all right, um, I could see how you've arrived there. Like I, I can see how you would, how, how you have arrived there. Um, and so we have to meet that, that person with love and, and welcome them in and say like, all right, like I, I can see that path in which you've arrived and, and you are believing that God is this very vengeful, you know, fear-based, um, angry, violent God. Um, so we, we first have to kind of understand where that comes from. And then the, the, the other piece is to begin to invite that person into a deeper, more loving relationship with God. And that, that happens, you know, it's interesting that I think happens on a very human level when we can begin to carry this understanding of God into relationships with people that have a different belief or a different way of seeing God. And, um, and so the, what I would say to somebody that's carrying, you know, those feelings of God and, um, is let's start there. Like, let's really start to understand where it came from, um, why you feel that, um, and let's begin to soften it. Let's begin to kind of make space for some other more loving, more heartfelt, you know, expression and experience with God. And and I think that's an important piece when we have experiences with God that come outside of the text, that come outside of, you know, our tradition. And we kind of find ourselves, well, I've been taught this, this whole, my whole life. But suddenly I had this experience that calls all that into question because this person that maybe had every right to be mad or attack me showed me love Mm -hmm. and it came from their, you know, relationship with God. So maybe my understanding of God, you know, there's room there to then shift it to make space for something else to exist. I love that it feels like it's human and relational in which you find the presence of God there. And it's gotta be, I, I, yeah, I, I, I just, it's gotta be God exists in relationship. Yes. <laughs> God exists in relationship. And so any, any deepening of faith, any sharing of faith has to also kind of exist within that idea of a relationship. And I think that's a great way for us to think about God in, 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 the, in terms of relationship, in terms of a, of a free-flowing, endless fountain of love that we are part of, right? Like, and it is a relationship, and it's both a relationship with the divine, but it's also a relationship with humans, 
and and the and the natural world and all of creation right like it's it's all about being in right relationship in healthy relationship i want to tie that back to healing because you've said to me that healing must almost like rip the roof off and invite everyone in that there's when you have the sense of belonging it's part of healing and that unfortunately the reality is that a lot of people are excluded from healing practices can you talk about that yeah i mean i i think that we can't heal if we don't feel like we belong Mm. belonging is the ground from which all healing comes from so if we are trying to engage in any sort of healing without first making sure that there is a sense of belonging, we have, we have missed the foundation because mm-hmm. in order for people to heal, they have to feel safe, they have to feel seen, they have to feel like they're not judged. Um, and so belonging is the ground from which healing can emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a whole host of things that I think get in the way of that sense of belonging. Um, you know, some of it is in a practical way in our world where if somebody doesn't have enough, you know, if they don't have money to, you know, um, access certain services and programs, well, they can't belong if they can't even walk in the door because they can't pay the fee. So, I think that, you know, and, and then you look at certain services that are dependent on insurance, you know, and, um, and so there are certain limitations right off the bat when we have all of these, you know, conditions Well, you have to, you know, have this insurance or you have to be able to pay this amount in order to be able to access this. Um, and then I think that there's also, um, you know, if, if there are things that block it in terms of, well, you know, you don't come from the right neighborhood or, or the condition that you're going through and, you know, is not welcomed here, or um, we only serve this faith in this population, you know. So all of those things kind of begin to narrow down the spaces in which people can come and feel like they they belong and feel like they can find healing. Um, and so what we try to do is like, how do we create as wide a gate as possible? Yeah. How do we make it as readily available as possible? So that belonging, um, it, people are welcomed into that sense of belonging um, as, as wide and as much as possible um, by breaking down and as many barriers as we can. You know, I, I am not religious, so I apologize if this is wrong, but I feel like what you're saying, it's um, reminiscent or it's in the uh, image of Jesus and, and his work. And yet I feel like so many religious institutions have distorted that to mean something else. And last time you and I spoke on the phone, we had a conversation about how people identifying as religious is that number is going down, but people identifying as spiritual is rising. And so what is it that religious institutions are, are not providing? Or maybe like what I should say, what are people longing for that they're not finding in traditional religious spaces? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think that you hit on a really important piece is that the, in a lot of ways, the church that has sprung up around Jesus 
is not very reflective of the teachings and practices of Jesus. And I think that is a, you know, that needs to be named much more clearly Mm -hmm. that the church of Jesus is not doing a very good job of following their teacher. Um, And I think because in a lot of ways, it has become much less about following Jesus and following the teachings and much more about worshiping Jesus. Mm. And it is easy to worship Jesus. It's easy to show up at church uh, on Sunday and to go through the the rituals and the practice and and worship um, this deity in the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, It is much harder to follow Jesus to love as Jesus loved, to welcome as Jesus welcomed, um, to create that sense of belonging, to practice forgiveness, to practice inclusivity, to live this out in a deeply practical and embodied way is, is, much, is much more hard, harder, it's much harder. And so I think one of the major issues is that the church is not fully carrying out the teachings of Jesus, and so there is an inauthenticity authenticity that I think sometimes is felt um, through that. And I think one of the, you know, when we look at, you know, what, where the decline is in terms of engagement, I, I think that there's um, two probably maybe more kind of like major gaps. And one is, um, is and I'll speak, you know, I, I don't want to speak for all religions and, and all churches and, and, but, you know, just speaking um, for the one that I am, you know, connected to. Um, I think that people are looking for spaces where they feel like they deeply belong. Mm-hmm. And if you're entering into an institution with such rigid lines of who doesn't belong, yeah. Well, you kind of enter in on eggshells because you're, you know, your belonging is very conditional. Mm. I belong as long as I fit within this, you know, this tight, you know, definition of who is accepted. And that doesn't give us the comfort to fully be ourselves and to bring up the things that we're struggling with and to show up as we are. If we know that there is a very narrow lane of belonging and, uh, and so I think that that, that makes it challenging and, and not very inviting um, mm-hmm. into that sense of like deep wholeness. And I can, sh- I can really show up as myself um, because I think a lot of people feel like I can't show up as myself. I have to show up as this version that is accepted at the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more and more people are feeling like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to go and have to be some inauthentic version of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other piece that we spoke on is that the, the message is not resonating with the desire. So I think, I think people are really looking to discover who they are, right? Like first, like mm-hmm. help me to understand who I am before I am asked to understand who God is. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand how, I fit into this world and how I make sense of what I'm going through and at work and with family and, you know, everything that's happening in the world, like trying to figure out how I have this sense of purpose and make, you know, um, 
sense of what's going on in my life and how I fit into the larger. And I don't think that those messages are um, kind of being brought from, from the church to the congregation. It's very much, we're going to tell you who God is. And I think people have to first feel like I have a real clear sense of who I am. And now I can open myself up to understanding who God is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with that, you know, like we were talking about, I think the, the teaching and the message of Jesus has been so watered down yeah. and so neutralized that people are longing for a much more radical call to transformation. And they don't want some lukewarm cookie cutter version of the gospel that doesn't leave them inspired and doesn't call them to, you know, deep engagement and transformation. And so I think at some point it's, you know, what's being offered is not what is touching the heart and soul of those that are looking for it. And so then they're going elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. There's this sense of, at least for me, like for so long, we're taught to hide or in order to fit in, you have to not be yourself, which is not a form of true belonging. I feel like there's this ripeness, this craving, this longing for authenticity, whether we allow it or not, you know, we're often our fake selves on social media or all those things. But I think beneath it all, we're hungering for that. Um, Yeah. And that's what, that's what Jesus was able to do. When, when you look at his life, his ministry, his healing, the power that he held, I believe, is that he was able to first see who the person in front of him truly was. He saw them in their wholeness and loved them in their wholeness. And then that allowed that person to begin to see them not by their limitations. Oh, I am just this blind person. I am just this leper. I'm just this adulteress. I am something so much more than how society has labeled me and how I've been conditioned to see myself. And so Jesus invited people in with this deep sense of like, I see who you are and you're not just the mistakes that you've made. And when you are looked upon that way by God and by others, it helps you to say, yeah, I'm not just that mistake. I don't have to be held back and, you know, held down by some of the things that have happened or how society has labeled me. I can be my true self and I can live from this authentic place. And that's, that's the source of the miracles, I think, in so many ways for Jesus is he, he was able to love and see people not as society had had and not even how they had but he saw them as god sees them and then they were able to see themselves as how god sees them and then that that is the transformation that wakes people up and that's i think part of my story too is right like is kind of saying like i'm not just my addiction i'm not just my mental illness it's it's being seen and loved as something so much more. Mm, what, yeah, what an expression of love. And it's in that, in the words, I see you, that there's something sacred that happens there. Mm, yes, um, yes. So I've got, I'll say, I've got two more questions for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. The first one is with the community growth center that you've started, this place of belonging, it sounds like to me, 
you're you started on Long Island, which is where I live too right now. Long Island is a very segregated place. Um, I feel like depending on where you are, the way we're talking is not always accepted or welcomed. <laughs> Can you talk about know, the experience a lot of like creating this um, place in a larger space that's not always um, mirroring that? Yeah, it's. I will say it is both deeply gratifying, but then also it's it's difficult sometimes, you know, like some of the, the services we offer or the programs that we offer are not um, are not welcomed and, and not like, you know, embraced, especially, you know, when you're bringing together different spiritual practices and traditions um, or trying to integrate spirituality and justice, um, you know, it's not welcomed by everyone. And, and, and it, that is on a human level, it's difficult for me when, when people um, are upset or offended or, you know, have things to say about me because of the, the programs that we're offering. And mm -hmm. that's it, you know, I'm human and it, and it hurts and it's challenging. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like it's, it's the path that I think we, we need to be on and, and the work that needs to be done. Um, and, and so we, we continue and, and um, but you're right, you know, this, this conversation, um, these services, this program will, it, it's not something that everybody um, welcomes. Um, even some of the conversation we had earlier about God and about Jesus is like, you know, uh, that's not going to be received, um, you know, universally and welcomed. And, um, and although that is difficult, when, when I get the, the pushback, ultimately, I feel like it is the work that needs to be done. Um, and so we, we continue on. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what space does spirituality have, spirituality have if not with justice? I, they, they're connected yeah. hand in hand. And so I'm grateful that you're not only engaging in this conversation with me, but you're living by this every single day. Um, so my last and question- that's what, Oh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, yeah. but I, I think that's the, you know, it is that that's the, you know, the invitation and the example of Jesus, right? Like Jesus did not come to fit into the mold that he was, you know, he found himself in. He came to break free of that mold and to draw attention to, you know, how do we expand this circle? How do we take what we have and open it up in a way that is uncomfortable and challenging and unsettling to, to some people in positions of power and um, in certain segments of society. Um, and so Jesus didn't come to continue the status quo. Mm. He came in a way to break it wide open and turn it on its head um, and cause disruption. And so I think there are, um, although it's challenging, there are a lot of, um, there are people in places that are, are really doing great work on trying to fully carry on with that tradition. Mm, yeah, that's reaffirming. <laughs> my, my last question for you is kind of a big one. I'm gonna ask you okay. to, to finish the sentence and the sentence begins, God is. 
God is love. God mm-hmm. is, um, you know, the, the word that the phrase that's coming up for me is um, at least right now in where I am. And I think that this probably will fluctuate with how I would answer this question is, but God is with me, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that's, that's the space that I'm in where it's like, God is with me. Um, and I am with God. And, uh, and as things happen around me and, and, you know, in my life and in the world, more and more, I keep coming back to that phrase that God is with me. And, and that doesn't solve my problems. It doesn't make my problems go away, but it's my, it's the anchor. It's the thing that holds me, that reminds me um, that this too is going to make sense someday, right? Like, just like when, you know, going through it, my addiction and my mental illness didn't really make sense at the time. And now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea that God is with me um, is the reminder to me that this too will make sense and fit into the larger story. Um, just maybe not yet. And right now it's just filled with, you know, more questions and answers and confusion and, and difficulty. But that phrase of God is with me um, is that reminder for me that this too is going to make sense at some point. Um, and if God is with me, it's going to be used for love and it's going to be used for good. And, um, and I can trust in that and I can find peace and comfort in that. Yeah. Of course, I I didn't invite you on the show to be a personal therapy session for me, but I feel like this was exactly the message I needed to hear and the conversation that I needed to have or be be able to listen to. And so I'm so grateful for that. I feel like you're saying God is with me. The word that keeps coming up for me is trust. How do I feel? How do I lean into trust? Um, Yeah, Yeah. you're just like such a delight. I love how you're showing up in the world. I'm so grateful to Serena who connected us. Um, Thank you again for spending time with me today. Thank you so much for having me and and for the work that you're doing and, and having these conversations and holding this space. And so keep doing what you're doing. Um, it's much needed. And, um, so thank you. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them in talk up their body. Another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes. Stay in your lane, not to stay on the go. I can't play with the pros and act like a rookie, so they overlook me. Then I double up again, none of their nose, none of them cold. They just got lucky but never adapted, so I'm to the one if it's coming to blows. My enemies cutting it close. I let them think that they got me, but what do you know? I had them beat before we ever spoke. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything.